0: What is up, everybody? Wednesday night, the Staple Show, Shout a Buffalo football podcast brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets. Whether you're celebrating at home or away this weekend, it's going to be cold out at the Ralph. Uh, I call it the Ralph uh, Highmark Stadium, excuse me. And if you're going to be getting out there and, you know, grilling or, you know, uh, tailgating, you're going to want to get all of your favorites at Tops Friendly Markets. They have them ready to enjoy for football, entertaining, or any occasion. Shout out to Topps Friendly Markets, uh, hooking you up this weekend. Ryan Talbot, how are you, buddy?
1: I am doing well, Matt, and looking forward to talking a little bit about uh, the game itself this weekend, but also some faces that are back in the fold for the Bills.
0: Yeah, we got a couple people that are back, a couple people back early. So the Bills activated four off of the COVID list today. Uh, most notably, Cole Beasley and Gabriel Davis, who were eligible to come off the COVID list because the NFL followed uh, suit with the CDC, who recommended decreasing the quarantine time, uh, regardless of vaccination status, from 10 days to five days. And so for a lot of players that, you know, uh, even the unvaccinated players who are are not showing symptoms anymore or aren't as susceptible to passing the virus along they come back earlier get them back in the mix and that's that's a huge development and obviously you want all of your best players back and available but I think going into the Patriots game as good as that offense looked Ryan I thought losing Gabriel Davis who oh by the way went you know four games or three uh three games four touchdowns over that span they were going to lose him a lot with him out of the lineup I thought they, they actually end up getting some production elsewhere. Isaiah McKenzie, we're going to talk about him in a minute, but let's just start there with those two guys. We'll get into, uh, you know, John Feliciano and AJ Appanessa, who are the other two as well, but start off there. What do you think this means getting those two guys back ahead of the Falcons game?
1: I think it's huge for the Bills, and listen, you mentioned it, Matt. Gabriel Davis, four touchdowns, three games, six touchdowns overall, really finding his stride, and then he gets put on that reserve COVID list. But you're getting him back for this game, so you're getting that red zone weapon, that big target that you can – put in the slot or have him you know uh, run across the middle of the field and he's usually pretty good about using his size using his hands and placement to uh, create that separation so you're getting him back into the fold you're getting Cole Beasley back and as great as Isaiah McKenzie is and, and there's many routes where I'd prefer having Isaiah McKenzie out there uh, over Cole Beasley those intermediate routes where you can use that speed a little bit go all the way across the field near the sidelines. It's good to have Beasley in the fold, too, because there's certain things that Beasley does extremely well for this team. It was, you know, last year that this guy was an all pro, battled some injuries this year. Maybe he has lost a little bit of a step. But this is a great time for everyone to be coming back into the fold for the Bills because, one, they're trying to win the AFC by winning this game against the Falcons and then beating the Jets. But two, you want to have all of these players out there on the field in the mix for these next two weeks. So come playoff time you have an idea of how to utilize them in terms of snap count, in terms of what they do best. How can Josh Allen use these players to, you know, to, to create the most mismatches out there? So this is, it's a good problem to have. Having too many weapons is, is never a bad problem.
0: You know, you go to early on in the season and, you know, the first week of the season, Cole Beasley, 77 snaps, 39, 52, 36, 22, 67 Isaiah McKenzie played 67 snaps this past week, two weeks uh before Beasley went out against Tampa Bay. He played 63 snaps. I think that there might be a happy medium, Ryan, where these guys can land on a split snap situation. And it could be, you, you know, it might be 60, 40, one week, 50, 50, one week, 70, 30, even depending on the matchup. But just because Cole Beasley's back, I don't think it necessarily has to completely send Isaiah McKenzie to the bench. I think what he brings – I went back and watched uh, the the New England game. And what he really brings for me is – you mentioned a speed element. I think it offers more – after the catch, not so much mm-hmm. like, you know, I think what Cole Beasley does is he gives you that quick outlet and somebody that's going to find a place, you know, uh, in spaces where the defense isn't and, and and you know, show himself for Josh Allen. But I think what Isaiah McKenzie brings to you is probably a little bit more depth to his route tree and uh, you could do like more things like they did mostly crossing routes with him in this game last week. That's where he was the most dangerous, most effective, but I think that they're only scratching the surface of what he can be even in the slot. Uh, and so I think finding a way to keep Isaiah McKenzie on the field is very important, but I don't think that necessarily has to be a, a bad thing for Colby. If you go back to last year, Ryan down the stretch, he was playing quite a bit. Let me see if I can bring this up here because he got injured in week. Was that 16 against new England?
1: Yeah, I believe it was. I, yeah.
0: It was. It was. So he got injured in week 16 against New England. He didn't play in the Miami game. That's when Isaiah McKenzie, you know, had his two touchdown performance in his other starting um, opportunity uh, in in the slot for the bills. But if you go back and look last season, you know, he wasn't up towards 70, but 50 or more snaps in the majority of the games, especially in the second half of the season. So I think if you decrease Cole Beasley snaps, At this point in the season, you're only going to kind of benefit him health-wise moving into the playoffs when, you know, you're going to need him at some point. As good as Isaiah McKenzie was last week, and I know I talked a lot about it on social media and all the vaccination stuff aside, he's one of your best players, and I've maintained that over the course of the season. It's good to have your best players available to you in big games.
1: Yeah, this is not an either-or scenario, Matt. You want both of them out there on the field, and you nailed it. When it comes to Cole Beasley, when Josh Allen has to get the ball out quickly, Cole Beasley knows where to sit on that field, and he catches the ball, and he usually falls right to the ground, or he dives ahead for a yard or two. But Isaiah McKenzie, you mentioned the drag routes. You mentioned the yards after the catch, the, the bigger plays, 19-yard reception, 11-yard reception, um, some plays where you can kind of run after the catch. He does the pop passes where he kind of runs across or the jet sweeps if they actually hand it to him. Uh, we saw him in motion not last week against New England, but the week before that against Carolina, where his motion threw the whole defense off against Carolina, and that's what led to that big Devin Singletary touchdown in that game to start it off. So they both bring certain things, certain aspects to this offense that you want out there. So, yeah, it's definitely not let's get Cole Beasley out there and play him 70 snaps, put Isaiah McKenzie back on the bench. Find that happy medium whether it's a 50-50 split, 60-40 split, whatever the case may be, keep these guys fresh come playoff time and and keep defenses guessing in terms of who's going to be out there personnel-wise and how are
0: you going to use them. Be interested to see how they divvy up the snap share between Emmanuel Sanders and Gabriel Davis. One of the things that, you know, Emmanuel Sanders' production, usage, availability, it's really fallen off of a cliff in the second half of the season. I thought what he brought in the first half impressed me and I thought man this is exactly what I thought John Brown was going to be in this offense the 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 year prior Uh, a couple of two touchdown games he looked like he was getting in sync with Josh Allen and just as that seemed to be happening you know it's he's kind of just faded in terms of you know just noticing him just just that in and of itself and you go to this last week's game dropping a touchdown pass the Bills had four drop passes in this game that is crazy to think about the game that Josh Allen just had, and to think about the fact that they had four drop passes. And I think, you know, for Sanders, listen, he's a great player. He is a Super Bowl champion. He comes in with all this experience and this ex- important experience in December and January. But I think we're at the point now, Ryan, where I'd like to see Gabriel Davis even outsnap snap Emmanuel Sanders at this point in this offense, just because I, I think of we've talked about it quite a bit on the show, the versatility that he brings in terms of all the things he can do as a receiver.
1: Yeah, I'm with you completely on that. And and also because Gabriel Davis is a part of this long-term uh, solution, long-term piece to the puzzle, so to speak, where Emmanuel Sanders, you know, you've mentioned it many times. This may be his last season in the NFL. He's hinted at retirement quite a few times. You want to have him involved, but you don't need to give him a large snap share. Now, you know, he did have the, the drop touchdown pass last week, but kudos to him. The one play where Josh Allen threw across his body, middle of the field, Sanders climbed the ladder and made a nice catch. And uh, move the chains on that, so he kind of redeemed himself at one point. But you're right, Gabriel Davis was starting to kind of break out for this team in terms of showing what he could do. He had a 20, I think it was a 28 yard reception against Carolina. Uh, he had a few touchdowns over the last three weeks, as I've mentioned. They were starting to kind of figure out that role for him and how to use him, and and he has that de- uh, deceptive speed where he can get downfield and beat his man there a little bit too. So. He just offers a little bit more because of that size, that speed, what he can do, especially in the red zone. So I'm with you on that as well. Get Gabriel Davis more involved. Welcome him back into this fold. And uh, against, you know, t- these defenses like Atlanta and like the Jets, I think it's a good chance for them to really try to figure things out. Obviously, they can't go into these games looking at them as, as warm-ups or tune-ups for the playoffs. They have to beat these teams to win the the division. These are also games where I think the Bills are going to have opportunities on the offensive side of the ball to put up some points.
0: Mike, uh, over on Facebook, uh, makes a great point. This is a great problem to have. Depth is a great problem to have for any football team. Uh, a couple of comments I noticed over on Twitter uh, that I wanted to make sure that I mentioned. Uh, Drew over there says more five receiver sets. That could be interesting to get them all out there together. Maybe putting Cole Beasley and and, uh, Isaiah McKenzie out on the field at the same time, that could really get Brian Dable in his bag of tricks, which I think could be Mm -hmm. funny. Uh, Mark also says, you know, the split he thinks will be matchup based, which I think is a great point. You know, zone defense, zone heavy teams. You can kind of rely on Cole Beasley a little bit more to find opportunities in space, man, teams that want to try to go one for one, with Isaiah McKenzie we saw how that didn't go well for for the New England Patriots. So both thing, both ideas there uh I think are are definitely interesting. Let's get into the offensive line Ryan because you know the Bates Hive was a buzzin <laughs> on Sunday. Uh John Feliciano uh cleared the protocol today. He's going to be back. I saw a IG post from him on Sunday where he was kind of taking a video of a um Peloton bike and says, let's give this a try, and then the the video afterwards and said, oh my gosh, that was horrible, or something along those lines. So I don't know if he's close to returning, but even if he was, I think it's a real competition there with him and Ryan Bates for who's going to get that left guard job. I know that they love him. You know, He's a great teammate. I think he is a a better player than some people like to give him credit for, and I also think they love him from a communication perspective. But what we saw from Ryan Bates, I, I don't know how you could put him back Uh, on the bench, Rick Bates. I'm sorry. Excuse me.
1: Yeah, I got it. Rick. That's right. Listen, I think you follow the DN Dawkins plan. If Feliciano is good enough to go, because you're right. He hasn't practiced in a few weeks. Uh, He noted that he was in the ER shortly after he uh, tested positive for COVID. So, you know, if he is good enough to actually play, follow the DN Dawkins plan, make him active, make him though a reserve. And you only need him out there. If, if there's an injury that pops up, uh, Ryan Rick Bates played extremely well and, and mind you I, I understand New England did not send a lot of blitzes or pressures and things like that and that's something to be seen uh, maybe this week maybe the week after in terms of how he holds up in that regard but he played a, a complete game for them on both sides at guard when, when needed uh, and, and I came away very impressed so you know ride the hot hand. Let Bates start at one spot, obviously, Darrell Williams at the other. See how this starting five looks. And, and if they hold up again really well this week, whether it's again, another team doesn't dare throw the pass rush against the Bills, or, or if they do and they hold up, then go into week 18 against the Jets. Keep things the same. Give this unit some time to gel. Uh, it's not a bad thing to have Feliciano waiting in the wings because, listen, with Ryan Bates, the versatility was almost – holding him back from getting out there on the field because he could play at all these spots if an injury popped up. But the main spot that I think they wanted him to, to be able to play was back up center in case something happened to Mitch Morris or maybe pop into one of those guard spots if Feliciano was available. Well, Feliciano can play guard. He can play center. He can be that emergency guy that can come in uh, and play in that role if need be. So, yeah, ride the hot hand. Just like you do at the running, they were doing at the running back position at some time and they finally figured out Devin Singletary was their guy. Do the same with the offensive line because maybe Bates is that answer. And, you know, if it is, it's almost kind of a uh, what were you doing so long before giving this guy that shot? I understand that uh, Sean McDermott didn't want to get into reasons why he hasn't been out there a lot this year, whether it's playing draft picks like Cody Ford or, or the versatility aspect of it. We'll never know. Uh, But if this does end up being a blessing for this team in terms of how he plays, if he keeps playing at a high level, there might be some people that question what took so long uh, at the end of the year.
0: Yeah. I I didn't know that it would be, that question would be met with that much um, mystery or intrigue. Uh, I just kind of wanted to get an idea of the thinking behind the arc of Ryan Bates's season, because he's somebody that, you know, when somebody plays that well and hasn't played, you you start to wonder, okay, like, have you not been seeing it in practice? And obviously, Sean didn't want to get too much into that. But we learned – we talked to Ryan Bates today, and we – I learned a lot, really, about – You know, him as a player, you know, getting in a a chance to talk to him. You know, Sean said after the game the other day, he's the first guy in the building every day. He's one of the first guys he notices. And he said he kind of has to be because he's literally watching tape at every position group. Hmm. He's a guy that plays. I know that he's played primarily center and guard this year, but he prides himself on the ability to go play tackle if they ask him to do that. He's he's a literal Swiss army knife. This is a literal utility guy, Jose Akendo. I know my guy, we're always talking about uh, in the comments section. I use this, uh, this phrase, I think last season, he always brings it up. Ryan Bates is the true Jose Akendo of this offense, but he said his natural position today is left guard. And so what made it a little bit easier going from right guard to left guard in game, because he did say doing that ever is hard. It's, he likened it to being a righty when you write right-handed And somebody asking you, okay, go ahead and go play, go right left-handed after you've been right and right-handed. It's the same thing with Spencer Brown when he was talking about earlier the season going to left tackle. It can be done, but it might be a little bit messy for a few minutes while you kind of get used to the whole process of it. But he's a natural left guard, and he said that's what made it a little bit easier is that I could go in left guard. It's kind of my natural position, and so going from that to that made it a little bit easier. But listen – This is a guy that I think has, he stayed the course. He's a guy that's kind of been an understudy to Mitch Morris in a lot of ways that Ike Butker was, uh, before him. Uh, I, I I think I told this story on a previous episode where I'd see Ike Butker all the time in, uh, after practices in the field house working, you know, rep by rep with Mitch Morris after practice was over for 10, 15 minutes. And, you know, that Ryan Bates falls into that category. And, And so this is a situation where, I think he played too well not to give him another opportunity. Only one pressure allowed on 79 snaps on Sunday, Ryan.
1: Andy said if Feliciano is fit and ready to play, he's going to play. Bates has one good game. We're ready to crown him. I don't think anyone's ready to crown Ryan Bates, but he played well. One pressure allowed. John Feliciano before COVID, before, you know, before anything else, he had a pretty up and down year. And, And mind you, he was better than some of the other options they've rolled out there this season. You don't just go back to the status quo just because someone is is ready to go. Like you said, Bates played so well, you almost have to see if he can keep this up for a second game and then a third game. And it's not a bad thing to have a, a guy like Feliciano, who can play both guard spots and play center, uh, be waiting in the wings for an opportunity, or if Bates falls off a little bit, then getting him back in the lineup when he's more ready, when he's had that time to really work on his cardio, to work on on his strength because who knows where that's at at this point in time. There's a reason that the Bills did that with Deion Dawkins last week. They weren't sure conditioning wise if he was ready to go. Now, to Dawkins' credit, he answered the bell and he put together one of his best starts of the season, or not starts, but one of his best games of the season. A- and maybe Feliciano would be in that that same boat when he gets out there on the field. But don't rush these guys back into action, especially because the team knows a lot more than we do in terms of how they were feeling over this whole course of time.
0: Brian, uh, ask, asking the tough questions in the YouTube chat, is uh, Matt going to kick Brian out again if he throws shade? Or did he finally come in uh, as the producer? That's a great question because I don't think you have producer capabilities. See, Ryan is asleep at the wheel right now. All you had to do was log into the thing and you could have, you could have kicked me out tonight. It would have been a whole fun little party. We could have had back and forth.
1: (laughs) I I know I I failed on it, but I'm going to try to stay in here, not uh, get kicked out tonight. So I'll do my best.
0: So this is an interesting point before we move on Mark uh, over on YouTube, that the bills a little bit strange with their own line choices took a while uh, until they were ready to move on from Brian Winters last season. Mm. We've talked about the Cody Ford deal as well. I don't know, Brian, like, I don't really know. I would love to have like a coach on here to really dive into this topic. But like, there's always this like evaluation period happening during the week. But when you talk to players, you know, there's not a really a lot of live game rep type situations in in a regular season practice week. So how much can you evaluate? Okay, Ryan Bates looks better than... Uh, Ike Butker this week. We're going to go with Ryan Bates instead of Ike Butker. Ryan Bates said this week that if unless you're one of the starters, you're not getting a chance to work with the first team offensive line in practice. Uh, he was asked a question about the communication level and how tough that is, especially when you're moving side to side. He's like, well, that's tough, but it's really tough when you don't work with those guys all week. Then you have to get out there and the communication level, you know, you're hoping for it to be good. And he said it was so good on Sunday because this is a very close-knit group. And, and I think that that comes through when you talk to any of these guys. They're really, you know, big fans of each other. Ryan Bates even went as far to say, you know, I love these guys. I love playing with them. And so that's kind of a naturalness to it all. But, you know, I, I, I have to agree with Mark in, in a couple instances. They, they've hit on a, a couple really important pieces. I think they have a top seven, eight when healthy and at his best left tackle and Deion Dawkins. He was outstanding, superb off the bench the other game uh, on Sunday when he's been at his best and he's been at it quite a bit this year, Mitch Morris has been worth the contract that they gave, gave him. I think that it's been undersold uh, how important he's been at times. Darrell Williams was good last year. He's been really good at guard at times this season and they found like little pieces, but some of the things, you know, trading Wyatt Teller. And I know hindsight is always 2020 and nobody had a problem with the deal when the bills made it. But just evaluating talent and having a plan for the talent. Sometimes I think they miss the mark there.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Sometimes they're too loyal to veterans, and especially veterans that have uh, a mixed bag in terms of of w- how they've done before joining the Bills. Brian Winters is a great example that Mark mentioned. Russell Bodine, a few years before that, was in here, and he and he played some significant reps. And the, the Bills are somehow able to trade him uh, to the Patriots after a, I believe a whole season here. And, and, but he was never that good, and he wasn't good in that Bengals stint before that. Bobby Hart, you know, th- there's players that they bring in where it's like, do they think they can fix these guys? Is it because they just want to have the depth? It, so it, it's fair to question some of the offensive line moves that we've seen over the years. Uh, but now that you have a starting five that played really well one week ago, I'd like to see them build on that and see how they look against Atlanta. Go in three, three, four series, and if Bates is struggling, okay, and Feliciano's ready to go, throw Feliciano in there because the communication is going to be there. He's, he's the gel, you know, the gel process, so to speak. He's already w- worked with Dawkins. He's already worked with Morris many times, so you don't have to worry about that. It's okay, though, to try something different, especially based on the fact that they had such success last week.
0: a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. From hot to go pizza and appetizers, signature fried chicken, baby back ribs and subs to delicious salads and brownie trays. Tops has everything you need to feed the hungriest fan. Make sure you get over to Tops friendly markets today. Let's get into Atlanta a little bit here. I think this is this is a good jump off point. I I, I put out a, a call for questions. Uh, on Twitter earlier today. So we'll do some of those, but I want to start with Atlanta because one of the topics today that came up is like, how do you keep the energy up? How do you keep the momentum going? I mean, if you're talking about this offense in the last 10 quarters, it has been an absolutely explosive nightmare for defenses. And you know, this is this Atlanta defense. I mean, I, I feel like it's probably the strength of their team. Obviously, since Calvin Ridley went out for their offense you know, they haven't been as dynamic. I think the teams can kind of game plan for a very young and inexperienced uh, Kyle Pitts as is, is explosive and fun of a player as he is. But this defense, it has some dudes, Ryan. And uh, I think, you know, Grady Jarrett is the guy that I start with that, you know, comes mm-hmm. to mind. And we're talking so much about Ryan Bates and the interior offensive line. That's somebody that's going to be a, mat- a potentially a matchup problem in this game. He's somebody that jumps out every time you watch the Falcons. I-, I think protection is going to continue to be, you know, important in this game. I'm not worried as much about the Atlanta Falcons offense forcing the bills offense to be spectacular in this game, but I think you want to keep the momentum going. You want to take care of the football. You want to protect Josh Allen. And you know, this has been an opportunistic defense at times for the Falcons.
1: Yeah, I agree with that completely. And you, you know, you, you previously mentioned how do they keep the energy up? I think the bills at this point, if they have trouble keeping the energy up, knowing that they need to win out to win the AFC East is a real problem here. I think that they've figured it out on offense. I think the defense is doing a very good job. But if you look at the quarterbacks that they're going to play, that they've already played and that they're going to play over these last four weeks, Cam Newton really can't throw a football. Mac Jones throws the line of scrimmage and maybe, you know, 10, 15 yards downfield at most. Matt Ryan is still going to test you from time to time. Now he might throw an interception in doing so, but in terms of natural, you know, which quarterback would, would worry the most over these last four games? I would probably say Matt Ryan. He's going to try to test out these young cornerbacks, Uh, and you mentioned it. They don't necessarily have as much of a dynamic offense as they did when Ridley was there, but Kyle Pitts is something like 51 yards away from eclipsing 1,000 yards for the season. Uh, Russell Gage has had some moments stepping up as their number one wide receiver, And, and then, of course, they have Cordero Patterson, who has over uh, a 1,000 total yards of offense for them out of the backfield. And as a receiver, they kind of figured out how to utilize that talent that was always there. But offenses like Minnesota, and and I know he's made three or four stops along uh, the way in his career, that they couldn't unlock. So they have some talent on that side of the ball. You mentioned defense, Grady Jarrett, those talented defensive linemen have given the Bills some fits this season when they've gone against them throughout the year. So this is not a walk in the park. I did see someone in the question say, how have they done in the cold weather? Well, this isn't necessarily a team to ask about that because their last three road games have been Jacksonville, Carolina, San Francisco. So cold weather, they really haven't had to experience much of it this year. So, you know, the cold weather on Sunday, it could actually play a big factor and, and help the Bills significantly.
0: A guy that kind of gets all over the place. I was super impressed watching. I, I went back and watched that Detroit game last week. And I when I was firing it up, I had two thoughts. First, my first thought was like, man, I'm really about to sit there and watch the Atlanta Falcons <laughs> and the Detroit Lions. But my second thought was, listen, I, I, I've been kind of vibing on the Lions a little bit. I mean, it wasn't a great football game. Both teams were just, just dying for the other team to just take it over and win a game. Uh, but it came down to a play. You know, Atlanta had the ball late in the fourth quarter to ice it after Detroit kind of stalled out on a drive with like about three minutes left. Falcons were running a couple plays and they fumble it and, or they turn it over somehow. I can't remember what it was exactly. So, to, so Detroit gets new life and has a chance to kind of drive down and get a score. And um, this dude who, by the way, all game long, 14 tackles, one tackle for a loss uh, and the game clinching, clinching interception uh, at the goal line as uh, Boyle was trying to, Find somebody, Foyer Olakun. This dude, I never heard of him before this game. Drafted back in 2018. I did a little bit of due diligence on him. He's a guy that, you know, really pops. And that's what I'm talking about with this Atlanta defense. The numbers don't really jump off the page at you. I mean, they're not really good in any area in terms of league ranking or impressive stats, but they have a couple playmakers that if you aren't on your game, I feel like there's some guys that can kind of make you pay. And that's always a dangerous combination when you're talking about maybe a trap game. The bills are a 14 point in this one. That's a massive number. What do you think, Ryan? You think they cover that number?
1: I would never necessarily advise people to go with a bet on a team when they're getting two touchdowns, but you know, another factor here, Matt, And and I know the new COVID protocols, you know, five days, some of these, some players can come off the list. The Falcons are kind of in the midst of this COVID outbreak right now. Today, they put 12 players on the COVID reserve. Mm -hmm. Now, we're not talking huge names. Hayden Hurst though is one of them. He's their second tight end, a talented player, a uh, good blocker. He's behind Kyle Pitts. Willie Beavers is more of a practice squad offensive lineman. Tajay Sharp was on that list, and then there was some decent defensive players on that list as well. If I look through it, uh, Davison on the D line, Richie Granite safety. So I mean, you don't know what's going to what's tomorrow's going to bring in the next day, and that that goes for the entire league, but. In terms of covering the spread, if that keeps up and they and they miss a few more players here and there, maybe then the, the 14 points bumps up to 16 or 17. It wouldn't shock mm-hmm. me. But right now, a lot of the big names were avoided on that initial list. But there's a few names there to, to monitor and keep an eye on.
0: No, that's a great point. You know, the COVID list is interesting. And obviously with the new protocols, there's a better chance to get those guys back. I mean, it probably would have been a decent chance had they been vaccinated. One of the things we mentioned last week was Tyreek Hill going on and on Tuesday, he got back Saturday. So that was like about a five day window. And with the way that the, you know, the the rules are going, if you're asymptomatic, I mean, you could get back pretty quickly at this point. So, Yeah. yeah, that'll definitely be interesting to watch. Is that your cat in the background?
1: No, it's my my old uh, golden retriever. When she lays down now, the arthritis she whimpers a little bit, but she's laying oh, down next to honey. me now, and
0: oh. I know
1: we, we give her the CBD and all that, but it's still a little bit hard for her to lay down sometimes. Oh,
0: that broke broke my heart, man. That's uh, that's that's so sad. Yeah, I'm at the complete opposite stage. Our little Walter, uh, he has so much energy that I don't even know what to do with it. Today, I I play this little rope game with him where i like like whip him back and forth and today he usually lets go and then he chases it and lets go and chases it today he just was a, a little 15 pound ball of fire he would not let go of it i was ripping him from back and forth back and forth ripping it, trying to get it out of his mouth he wouldn't let it go he's a tough little bugger so uh oh man that's so that's so sad to hear how old is she, how old is she 12 12 12, twelve. So yeah right. um some interesting back and forth on social media today. Actually, that's something we could kind of go into next. Uh, Stefan Diggs. First of all, let's set up this, the, the scene from earlier today. Diggs was asked about Cordero Patterson and he played with him, obviously in Minnesota. And he said, other than Adrian Peterson, mm-hmm. the most talented guy he's ever seen with the ball in his hand. And now first, first thing you think of is like, all right. Is that a buddy of his? He's just kind of like, you know, trying to pump him up a little bit. I I think what Cordell Patterson has done over the past, you know, 12 to 18 months has been really remarkable the way that, you know, he's finally started to figure it out a little bit, but that's kind of crazy. But the more you get to thinking about it, I I kind of, I don't think that that's necessarily the case. I think that Cordell Patterson, when you watch him play, some of the highlight reel plays that he makes, he's absolutely explosive dynamic. I went and looked at the stats a uh, breakdown for his season. He's over 500 yards rushing over 500 yards receiving. He has 11 combined touchdowns and he's been outstanding. With that said though, he said that he thinks that uh, Stefan Diggs has maybe just blown smoke up his butt.
1: <laughs> well, but like you said, he he's so good as a back. He's so good as a receiver. I think 11 touchdowns on offense. He's shown what he can do in his career as a return man as well. Sometimes, unfortunately, teams don't give the players the proper opportunities to develop. And I think that early in his Mm -hmm. career, team said, no, this guy's strictly a wide receiver. We're going to make him a traditional receiver out there. And that kind of took away some of the things that you could do with him. If you would, if there were creative offenses back then that would have put him, um, you know, given those little pop passes, put him on the end of rounds or the jet sweeps, make him more, put him in the backfield as a running back. I think his career could have been a lot different in terms of some major paydays, uh, becoming a weapon for multiple teams, but it, it just took a long time for a team to kind of crack. Okay. We can use him in multiple ways because he is so good with the ball in his hands. So I, I do believe Stefan Diggs when he says this guy was dynamic with the ball in his hands. It's just the fact that some teams were so stubborn about how to use him that the ball wasn't always in his hands or you're running him 30, 40 yards downfield. And unless he catches the ball, you're you're not going to get the best out of him. So Atlanta kudos to them. They've unlocked how to use this veteran player at this point in his career. Uh, He's going to be one of those players that you have to know where he is at all times. If you're the bills defense, because he can hurt you in a lot of ways. And, you know, going back to that lions game, they did a real nice job of containing him. I know he did have a, a touchdown in that game. Uh, but they, they did a real good job against him. So the Bills try to kind of figure out what did the Lions do? What did some of these other teams do when they kind of uh, kept him in check this season?
0: Corey uh, over on YouTube uh, says Diggs putting Bean on notice for next year about Patterson. And listen, I think he's the kind of guy that, you know, is interesting. I think we talked about him a little bit this past offseason. And I think have, bringing Isaiah McKenzie back, the return role was, wasn't probably there uh, definitively. So court, even if the Bills had talked to him, which I don't know if they did or not, I, I'm sure he wanted an opportunity to go and play and ma- and try to earn a next contract. And he's done that. Uh, I still think he'd probably be pretty affordable uh, because of his age and what what he'd be asked to do. Uh, but I think that's interesting. Like, you know, a, a guy that maybe Stefan Diggs puts his stamp of approval on probably, uh, you know, means something in that room. Uh, Patterson tweeted at uh, Stefan Diggs, Later this afternoon, I think about an hour ago, uh, are you sending wings to my hotel room this weekend? He asked Stefan Diggs and he said, Diggs responded and said, I'll see what I can do. I see, see what I can have done. Uh, So we'll see.
1: Um, That won't be, that won't be the only case too. As you read Ferguson is sending wings to uh, Mike Davis because Davis was saying how Atlanta wings were the best in the U S earlier this season. And earlier in the year, Ferguson said he would send some barbell wings to him. So maybe they can get a, a bulk order and send it to both of those players. Uh, well, to kind of show them what's up.
0: That'll actually be something really interesting. Lee Smith, who is on the Falcons now, some people talking about him in the in the comments. He was a regular. I saw him on multiple occasions at Bar Bill in East Aurora when he was uh, at, with the Bills. Uh, so I'd imagine he he'd snuff out that kind of talk about Atlanta Wings really quick in the room. Uh, but that'd be funny to see uh, how how all the wing stuff happens. I want to get to the Q and a portion of the podcast. We got some stuff, but before we do, let's get to prediction time. Uh Bills versus Falcons. We talked a little bit about Pitts, Patterson, Matt Ryan. I don't think that anything they can bring that with that trio. I, I even like Mike Davis to a degree. I watched a little bit of him running against Detroit. I like the way that he ran the ball in, in Carolina a year ago. It's hard because he, it, they they kind of relied earlier in the season on Patterson more as a running back. He's done a little bit more of uh, everything and more of a kind of a, a hybrid role recently. But Davis seems to be getting an uptick in opportunities. I like him as well. But I think that Matt Ryan is going to struggle in the pocket to not only uh, break down and, and 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 make plays against this Bills defense, but I also think this is a matchup where the Bills defensive line could have some success. So I think it's going to be a rough afternoon in a cold weather situation for Matt Ryan. And I'm going to go with something around, you know, 31 to 13, Bills win big. Um, oh gosh, is that what you have?
1: I, I have 34 to 16. I, I, we're just always in like the same ballpark. We're not like right on, but and we don't, we don't
0: talk about this beforehand.
1: Mm, no 34, 16. And you know, what's funny, Matt, we, we sat here, we talked about all these weapons that the bills have. We didn't mention Do, uh, Dawson Knox one time. We didn't mention the fact that Devin Singletary is running really well right now, whether it's out of the backfield or catching the ball. And then, you know, setting the tone early in that Patriots game, he's playing really well. This Bills team just has so many weapons right now that you can't account for all of them. So I think they're going to continue to play at the level that they have been since that second half of the Tampa Bay game, uh, go over 30 points. To the commenter's question earlier about the weather, I think the cold weather is going to affect Atlanta to a certain extent in terms of kicking field goals, making them, uh, mm-hmm. but they still walk away with maybe, like I said, 16 points. So 34-16, Bills win, go into week 18 with a chance to win the division.
0: Yeah, and so New England plays Jacksonville this week, correct? Correct. Who yeah, Jacksonville
1: so- going through a little outbreak of their own right now, but even you know if healthy, you would think that that Patriots defense, uh, the way that the offense is built, would be a okay against Jacksonville.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Mac Jones versus Trevor Lawrence—that's going to be a fun little storyline to track uh, as well. I feel like just Jacksonville does just shows up and plays pretty well, though. Or at least stays in games. I'll be interested to see how that game goes. Josh Allen probably will be back for this week, right? He missed last week with COVID, I, I believe. Yeah, with, uh, with the
1: protocols, you would think yep. that he'd be back here sooner rather than later. So, I mean, he could be an X factor in that game, just like he was when the Bills played them not
0: not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'm very much looking forward to Miami, New England in Week 18. What, what do you? Before we get to the questions, what do you think about Tennessee, Miami this week? let's let's dive into that one a little bit a lot of excitement around the seven game miami winning streak it it feels in a lot of ways like what New England experienced a couple months ago yeah. you know I think it has had a lot to do with who they played I'm not downplaying the win streak to win seven games in a row you got to be doing something right and they're doing a lot of things right down in Miami you know Jalen Waddell, is he's really become an absolute beast in that offense. They have Mike Gusecki, and I think Tua Tagovailoa, he's playing average and sometimes above average level quarterback play. And that's good to see if you're a Miami fan. Their defense, though, Ryan, their defense is taking it to another level. And I think against Tennessee, without Derrick Henry, this could be an interesting game this week.
1: I think it will be. And, you know, I did come away watching that Monday night game uh, where they overwhelmed Ian Book in the Saints offense. But I still kind of came away like, well, you know, the defense was great, but they only... You they okay, by 20- the way?
0: You okay, oh, yeah. by the way? Ian Book going, having oh. a bad out, and you okay? With I, saw,
1: it? I saw the stat, it was like 24, 25 straight losses for Notre Dame quarterbacks in the <laughs> NFL. I'm just like, yeah, that's about right. Um, <laughs> no, so the defense, though, is firing on all cylinders. The one thing I'll say is A.J. Brown looked really good last week for Tennessee. I think he can be an X factor for them keep them in this game but Tua's smart with the ball he he's been getting it to Waddle early and often which is the best thing you can do if you're Tua uh that guy can you know pick up a lot of yards after the catch he's dynamic he's proven to be a really good first-round pick for them and if the defense can get after Tannehill, the way that they have I think that they can win this game and make things really interesting for week 18
0: All right, let's get into some Q&A here. Uh we'll have much more um AFC playoff stuff on next week's episode. We're not going to have a Friday uh, edition this week. Got some uh, busy weekend ahead, so we're just going to do the one one show this week. We'll have a post-game uh, episode on Sunday, and then we'll have, uh, we'll likely be back to two two episodes next week uh, ahead of the finale. From Mark Robbins, should Effie Obata play more over the rookie defensive ends, and what effect does this have on the position with three vets being out of contract at the end of the season, and the three vets obviously uh, Vernon Butler, uh, I believe Vernon Butler, Mario Addison, and Jerry Hughes. Um, Ryan, why don't you start off with this one?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm perfectly content with FA Obata getting um, more snaps. He had a lot of snaps last week. In fact, I want to say he and Rousseau were pretty high up there for the team on on the defensive line. He had a, a pressure. Obviously, it was he was he drew a flag for it—the helmet to helmet contact. But he was one of the few players that actually was able to get to Mac Jones. And I know it was a split second too late. Had the helmets not connected, though, there was nothing dirty about it in terms of, like, being too late. He was on time. It's just he has to get lower down. So coming off of the two-sack performance against Carolina, the fact that he was one of the only productive pass rushers last week, I'm A-OK with giving him more reps in this defense. But, again, they're still figuring things out on this defensive line just like they have been at offensive line. And now at wide receiver with all these weapons – they're still trying to find that happy balance, and you need Jerry Hughes out there for a certain amount of time. Mario Addison still has a little something to contribute. You get AJ Vanessa back in that group of players off the COVID reserve. Although it wouldn't shock me if uh, he and or Boogie Basham found themselves inactive in this game. The Bills have to go with who they think gives them the best chance to get after the quarterback and win these games because now is not you know it, as much as you want these younger players to develop and be a big part of your future. You're, you're trying to win now. You're trying to make a deep playoff run, get to the Super Bowl. And if that means sitting some of these young guys, then by all means, you have to do it.
0: Yeah. So I went back and looked here. Effie Obada led all Bills defensive ends. Um, with 38 snaps on Sunday. The only defensive lineman who had more snaps than him was Ed Oliver, which I oh. think that's about what you want the snap count to be anyway. Ed Oliver leading the charge in that department. Harrison Phillips was number two with 35 in terms of defensive tackles. Then it went 32 Addison, 30 Rousseau, 29 Hughes, um, and then Carlos Basham got 18 like you mentioned with, with AJ F potentially back in the mix, we'll see how that kind of plays out. But I think that's about where you want to be. I think you got to force, you know, I don't feel like Greg Rousseau, he's had a couple of splashy games this week, this season, the chiefs and the, and the dolphins earlier on this year. I feel like we haven't seen that. All right, let me, dial this back for you. Let let me slow things down for you. Maybe, you know, sit him a week or, you know, significantly drop that snap count just to let him take a deep breath and reset a little bit. We haven't seen that for Russo yet. And maybe that's something that could be in the cards. Now that Obata has started to come on and play so well. Uh, I thought he was, he was really explosive. I think there was a couple of times Mac Jones was just getting the ball out of his hands really early. Uh, but I liked the game that FE Obada played the other day. And I, Adam Shepard, Over on Facebook makes a good point. Wasn't good on the pitch that went for a touchdown. Mm. That's fair. I don't think Effio Bada necessarily his strength is exterior run support. I I don't think that just the way that he moves, the way the style of play, he's more of a pin your ears back. I'm gonna get after the quarterback. You know, I think he's been all right in run support when it's about being in your gap and you know maybe working some of the inside runs. But yeah, on the outside stuff, he's gonna really struggle. Um and, and but luckily for them, most of the time you got a really super fast linebacker in Tremaine Edmonds, uh, a speedy back four in uh you know the secondary, and so that won't prop up as much in in most games. But yeah, I think that that's a valid point in in what F.E. uh maybe gave up in the in the run game in on that play specifically.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. While you're getting the next question fired up, the one thing I will say is someone said maybe use them on obvious passing downs. I'm all for that. Again. Matt Ryan's going to hold the ball a little bit longer than I think a Mac Jones would. Mac, who, who takes those short throws early and off. And Matt, Matt Ryan at times is going to try to stretch the field. So maybe Obata comes up with a big play in, in terms of getting after the quarterback in this game. Uh, there might be opportunities for some of these other young guys as well, or some of the veterans like Hughes and Addison.
0: So this next one comes from Dylan. I know he didn't do it this week, but how do you feel about Josh taking his eyes away from plays to look to refs for calls? He wants a free play and that's great, but he completely takes his eyes off his reads and looks for a ref. Am I tripping out for nothing? So I have noticed that a couple times, like the one that, that kind of jumps to me first and foremost um, was Allen looking at a seam ball near the end zone to Dawson Knox, where he kind of just flew it like over his head and gave it the play. And I think he thought there was going to be a penalty and there wasn't. I don't know about you, Ryan. I haven't seen that nearly enough to where I think it's a consistent problem area.
1: No, I agree with that. And I think that Dawson Knox throws in that first Patriots game, actually, maybe Mm. I'm thinking of something different, but that's the one I can remember. There's been a few times where he thought that the opposing team jumped offside and he had a free play and he threw it. And then there was no flag. And then after the fact, he was really looking at the refs, but at the same time, you know, to his credit, the, the Bills have a true number one wide receiver in Stefan Diggs, And you can go back to last week's game in the end zone where it looked like he was held on a play by JC Jackson and Jackson then broke off of it and almost uh, tried to jump up and intercept that ball. You can go back to the Tampa Bay game where he was clearly held and nothing happened. It, it's almost like Josh Allen's look saying to these refs, listen, this is one of the best wide receivers. This is one of the premier wide receivers in the league. And he's not getting the same respect that a lot of these other players are getting across the league. Um, so maybe he's just trying to get in their ear a little bit. But no, I haven't seen it enough where I'm, I'm concerned about him going off of his reads, looking for a flag w- or anything like that, at least not right now.
0: All right, from Joseph, back to Singletary Moss tandem. Is active running backs with Brita the inactive, or is it matchup dependent? Without Brita active, isn't it more imperative for McKenzie to have a role in the offense to bring the speed element? Offense very much lacks speed. I'll start this one off. I, I, I think it's still going to be matchup. Dependent, I think that I liked a lot of what I saw from Zach Moss on Sunday against the Patriots. He looked like he was kind of finding that running style that I, I feel like he's been a little bit more less decisive recently. Uh, in recent playing time than he was early on in the season. And when we've seen him at his best over the course of his career, he was this close to running in a touchdown and got just kind of side swiped the last moment. I think it was even a Bill's offensive lineman. Uh, yeah, that done.
1: Ryan with uh Bates, I think okay. on his foot. All right. Yep.
0: Uh, Rick Bates, Ryan. Uh, Rick. I think it's official. Yeah, I know. Changed. Yeah. He actually <laughs> said he was thinking he saw a Sharpie near his locker room. He almost, he almost uh, crossed out his name on his placard. Uh, and change it to Rick. Uh, funny story. I'm writing about Rick, uh, Rick Bay, Ryan Bates, Rick Bates, whatever you want to call him. Uh, that story will be out sometime later tonight. But yeah, I think, I, I think more than anything, whether it's who, who's going to be RB two. I think that there's a definitive RB one. Now. I think that's yeah. what we've landed on. Devin Singletary. Listen, the the stats aren't going to be eye popping by any stretch of the imagination. The, the yards per carry all the all the kind of any kind of way that you want to measure what Devin Singletary has done it's not going to blow you away but i mean just look at his impact on the offense six targets on sunday five catches for 39 yards 12 carries 39 yards so that's 80 yards of total offense again this week another touchdown they're finding a way to utilize him in both the run game and the pass game and i think the short passes they're they're just as good as runs, Ryan, and I think that that's forcing teams out of what I think they might have figured out with the Bills earlier in the season.
1: Yeah, I agree completely. To go back to the original question, I agree, matchup dependent. Uh, Moss had that nice run, like you said, full head of steam, looked like he was going to cruise in the end zone, tripped over Bates' leg, falls short, and that's the, that's the one where the Bills had the turnover on downs. But he had a reception that went for about 13 yards that drop, uh, Josh Allen dropped off to him. I want to say in that game he had some tough runs, uh, so he he looked a little bit better than what we had seen from him in the past before he was inactive again. Uh, but there, there's going to be certain situations where you could say, okay, I think Breida brings a little bit more. You know, in that first Jets matchup, he had a score as a receiver, so it wouldn't shock me in Week 18 if it's Breida that's out there again. But like you said. It almost doesn't matter who running back two is right now because the bulk of the work is going to go to Devin Singletary, and he's earned that based on the way he's been running as of late, protecting the football, being a consistent contributor, not just as a rusher, but also as a receiver.
0: See any other ones pop up in the chat? Any other things that you want us to talk about before we get out of here? Uh,
1: Bills have good depth at most positions. Where do you think we can't afford an injury or COVID? And he said, "I'm thinking tight end," which, which makes sense because you know they have Tommy Sweeney as uh, number two. They have Reggie Gilliam that can play that that can play that hybrid fullback tight end role. They lost Warring back, or they lost him to Jacksonville from the practice squad, so they're even uh, limited there in terms of bodies at the tight end position. So that makes sense. Uh, I, I just think obviously offensive line I know they're getting guys back but you, you want to have the best five out there or have like the best sixes options and if they lose another player or two there then it could be Josh Allen running for his life again and as good as he is if you can put some protection in in front of him throughout this late season run playoff run I think the bills can go really far in you know maybe set up an uh, AFC championship rematch with the Kansas City Chiefs.
0: Yeah, and I I I'd echo the positions that you mentioned. I'd probably add in their safety. I, I like Jaquan Johnson. I think he's a a really exciting young player, and and getting a chance to see him in a start this year, he played it exceptionally well. I think it was again was it the Jets that he got that play that that start? I can't remember now which one he played it against. Uh, whoever it was against, it wasn't a really a really good team. So I think losing Micah Hyde or Jordan Poyer with Tre'Davious White already out would be pretty catastrophic just from the the perspective of you go, you're you going into the playoffs, like leaning on five years of experience playing together back there, especially with Trey White out. I, I don't think you can uh, uh, oversell how important that is. So that's something that kind of sticks out to me. I would not want to lose one of those safeties. Uh, this season. Yeah, ahead, so David. another
1: good question here. Can the Bills clinch a playoff berth this this week? Yes. Uh there's multiple scenarios. The easiest scenario is the Bills win and the Ravens lose, which, you know, a little deja vu from a few seasons ago where Andy Dalton played heroics with the Bengals and helped the Bills get into that playoff and the drought years ago, but it, yeah, if the Ravens lose this week, the Bills win, they clinch a playoff berth. They cannot win the AFC East this week, but they can clinch a playoff berth. And there's other scenarios as well. That's just the easiest one. Matt, here's a question I'll let you you take from uh, Nick. We just signed the Scottish hammer. Do you think Matt Hawk gets hacked?
0: I mean, I don't know. I, I've never seen a punter more pumped about not punning in a game <laughs> than Matt Hawk. So maybe he could be on the chopping block here. But listen, I saw some of the highlights uh, of the hammer, and he's got a heck of a, a, a leg on him. They gave ha- a Hack a three-year... Uh, Contract, So I, I don't know necessarily if he's if he's going anywhere. I know he's pretty much well liked in the room. I do believe I remember somebody either saying or reading that he's a really good holder. And I mm-hmm. think that that's something that's very important. So, no, I don't think Hawk's going anywhere. Hawk, hack, what do
1: Hawk. Matt, yeah, Hawk. Is is, yeah, I've always said I, I always get it mixed up and want to say hack but it's pronounced Hawks. So, you know, I agree with that. The holding aspect of it is so important to this team with the way Tyler Bass has kicked it this year that I think he's safe this year. Uh, I think that they signed Jamie, the Scottish hammer there uh, for COVID concerns in case there was an outbreak or something like that. You could elevate him. You could play him, but believe it or not, minus his rookie year where he was like on the all rookie team, he's actually gone downhill as a punter. uh, And his average is a little bit lower than, than Hawks this season. So, He's not some guy that some significant upgrade waiting in the wings necessarily, but I, I like the signing of the practice squad smart to think ahead of what could happen, especially when you see multiple players, I think, you know, close to a hundred players across the league going on these lists. Some days it's, it's
0: smart to think ahead. Indeed. Speaking of thinking ahead, make oh, Ryan, You like that one? I did hosting a large party this weekend. Check out Tops's huge selection of party platters for a delicious, effortless, and affordable, no stress way to impress. For complete details, make sure you stop by their carryout cafe or visit topsmarketscom slash fantasy foodball. Final thought, Mr. Talbot.
1: Yeah, final thought. You know, I think there's a lot of concern from the Bills fan base about this team with their consistency and it's understandable. But based on what we've seen, Matt, over these last few weeks, I I think Bills fans should feel pretty confident that this team is focused. They're getting healthy at the right time in terms of the talent that's coming back. Uh, I think that the Bills are going to put up a, a pretty solid performance here this week and set up a Week 18 matchup with uh, the divisional foe, New York Jets, with the chance to become back-to-back AFC's champions.
0: Woohoo there you go, Ryan Talbot, sending us out. The final thought. All right. He is Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino. Hit that like button. Subscribe to the channel. Uh, Cody Clemens. We gave our score predictions. We're going bills big in this one. I got him 31 to 13. What did you go with, Ryan? Uh, 34 to 16 bills. There you go. All right. Uh, We're out of here, guys. Have a great week. Enjoy your weekend. We'll see you on Sunday. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.